Welcome to the Far North Podcast, where we explore everything we love about the Highlands and Islands of Scotland. Each week we research a topic that fascinates us, but which we don't know enough about. Then we bring in an expert to correct what we found. Let's go Far North. Hey Pete. Hey Matt, how you doing? Pretty good. Pretty good, thanks. How are you? I'm okay. I'm t- I'm fed up. I'm fed up of COVID and I'm fed up of lockdown is the answer. But I'm all the better for speaking to you, Matthew. Standard. I mean, they're sta- standard introductions, aren't they, in, in the virtual world? A, I can't hear you. Is your microphone on? B, yeah. I hate COVID and lockdown. Yeah. I mean, I think as, uh, our act of generosity is not actually to record and put out those bits where we say, I can't hear you. You're on mute. Turn it upside down the preceding 20 minutes of this call. I think, I think, that, I think that's, that's an act of kindness received with, a, with great pleasure from our listeners. Anyway, thankfully, we're not talking about COVID today. What are we talking about? Politics. Oh, good. The other great scourge. Yes, of our age. exactly. <laughs> the other um, exciting topic. No. Um, well, yes, politics, but perhaps not as depressingly as it can be discussed. As a new uh, resident of Cromarty and the Highlands and Islands, um, I've realised that of the many things I feel particularly naive about, Scottish politics is one of them, and. I've I've followed it to an extent and I'm increasingly um, absorbed by it because it's interesting when you move location, how suddenly what changes its relevance. So um, I'm definitely getting into it and, you know, listen to Nicola Sturgeon very regularly and it's relevant to me now in the way that it wasn't in the past. But what that means is because it wasn't relevant in the past, I don't feel like I know much about it. It structures how MSPs work, all of that. And I know you're, um, well, you know everything, Pete. So tell me. Well, I, I don't, what do I know? Not so. There is a Scottish Parliament in Edinburgh. I've been there. I've touched it. I've, I've run my my fingers over the engraved words on the outside of the um, uh, outside of Parliament. I've pressed my urchin face up against the windows. I've been inside. I think to watch some of the proceedings. Uh, so yeah, I've so I, I've been there. What do I know about it? Not very much. Hmm. Nineteen ninety nine. I think that's when it started. Donald Dewar first. The first first minister. That rings a bell. And so, obviously, I know that there are um, MSPs and there are Scottish political parties that don't exist in the rest of the UK. Um, and there are also MPs that come from Scotland. Um, so I understand, understand there's like an integrated political system as well as a devolved political system. But yeah, I don't, do you know what? Let's be honest. I I I don't know much about it, and I and I should, and I will learn but um i guess i'd like to know more okay so so that's the question is it fine tell you more about the scottish parliament and msps and how how that works in the highlands and islands spot on yeah particularly given that i am now a a resident there and thus a a voter okay good i can definitely do that i you know politi- my reaction there was to like feel the icy grip of death around my heart when you said <laughs> politics but actually you know politics i don't really believe that right politics is Politics is life, isn't it? Politics gets a bad name because it it feels like it's just a remote thing that weird people do. But politics is just how people sort themselves out. And so it's bound to be interesting. Although I will, as usual, do my darndest to make it boring. Hey, Matt. Okay, I'm... I'm back from my researches into the Scottish Parliament, and I also have a very exciting thing to reveal, but which I will do in a few minutes. That's great. I feel like I want to say, so let's go to our political correspondent, uh, Pete. Oh, it's a dream realised to be a political correspondent. Everybody's resigned. <laughs> no. So tell, tell me what I tell. Yeah, what did you find out? Okay, so I was doing some research into this, uh, into the Scottish Parliament. Uh, members of the Scottish Parliament, MSPs, and it occurred to me, um, you know, I know we've got quite a few listeners who are not in the UK, so it might be worth just a bit of a run through, and then of what, what they are, how the how the UK Parliament and the Scottish Parliament relate to each other. But then it it also occurred to me that um, people in the UK don't know that as well, including my daughter's school, 
who um, this week in the pack for their home learning undid quite a lot of painful history by placing Dublin as one of the capitals of the UK. Uh, Wowzers. <laughs> which, um, yeah, was bold. That's bold. That's some bold <laughs> Not politics. <to> say wrong. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, so point number one is Dublin is not in Scotland. Is that what we're saying? That is the first okay, point good. I discovered. Great, clarity on that one. I discovered that. Um, Edinburgh, however, in Scot- is in Scotland and is the seat of the Scottish Parliament, which is a parliament of Scotland, which is a country within the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, as you will know. But certain primary schools don't, evidently. Um, so the, the Edinburgh Parliament has uh, powers related to things like the economy, education, health, justice, rural affairs, housing... I'm reading these. Environment, equal opportunities, consumer advocacy, transport and taxation, Matthew. So um, so that's the Scottish government, whereas it still sits within the United Kingdom. You know, we might come to that. And the UK powers are more like things like immigration, foreign affairs, defence, etc. So there's two systems. There. I don't feel entirely unqualified on this, Pete, because um, my daughter, who is obviously now a Scottish secondary school, was doing home learning in modern studies this week and she was having to make a poster of devolved versus what she had written as reversed and I spent a bit too much time trying to work out um, the distinction between devolved which of course I'd heard of and reverse which I hadn't and I was trying to work out the bit of history where powers had returned to London or been given back and then we went to the instruction sheet and I realised that it actually said reserved and she'd written down reversed wrong. So the list uh-huh. you've just described to me, um, I saw just this week. Right, so you're way ahead. I'm glad I um, went out of my way to research these things. You sent me off on a, on, down the garden path there, something you already knew. Since you're so well informed, <laughs> perhaps you could tell me how many constituencies there are. Of the Scottish Parliament. No, no, that was the end. That was the end of the poster. That was the where okay. my. Uh, so sorry, I don't want to steal your thunder. Thunder away. No, I mean this. I'm not. This is more drizzle. Say what I'm what I'm presenting here than thunder. Right. So uh, 73 constituencies is the answer in the Scottish Parliament. But there's also something even more complicated than that, which we'll come to in a minute. The Highlands and Islands. There are eight. So. Argyll and Butte, Michael Russell, SNP. Caithness, Sutherland, and Ross. Gail Ross, SNP, Inverness and Nairn, Fergus Ewing, SNP, Murray, Richard Lockheed, SNP, Alistair Allen. Now, I'm going to take a deep breath here. I know we have uh, Gaelic-speaking listeners to the podcast. This constituency is in, isn't the name is in Gaelic. It was formerly the Western Isles. The uh, I'm stalling here. Because I'm now, I am gonna, I'm gonna give this a go. But I, you know, my uh, now interrupted Duolingo Gallic streak of something like ten weeks might not be up to this. But I think I'm gonna go for Nahila Nananiya is the name of the other constituency. Pretty good. Um, I spotted as well. Alistair Allen is the um, Scottish Government Minister for Scottish Languages, which I was interested in because I'm a languages geek, as you will know. The UK government doesn't have that post, so I thought it was quite. Um, Good to see that. Orkney Islands, Liam MacArthur, Shetland Islands, Tavish Scott, Lib Dems, Sky, Lochaber and Badenoch, Kate Forbes, SNP. Wow, thank you very much. And I just want to breathe a sigh of relief then because when you started that segment, I thought we were going to play guess whether or not this constituency MP is true or false, much like the oil fields of the North Sea game in our Magnus Davison episode. So thank you for not subjecting me to that. Brace yourself. <laughs> It's coming. (laughs) Okay, I'm braced. So what there's an interesting and good thing, another interesting and good thing about Scotland, proportional representation. How much do you know about that? Um, Well, a little, but I'm not going to waste precious listening time with my drivel about it. I'll listen to yours. (laughs) And here it is. So you will be aware that one of the reasons we have such a... um, fascinating political situation in the United Kingdom Parliament is our first-past-the-post system, which means we have um, 
we can have a situation where a huge number of people in the country vote for a particular party, but they get zero or very few seats because of the first-past-the-post system. Um, Scotland does use that system to elect the people I just named from those constituencies, but they also use a form of proportional representation uh, called mixed-member proportional representation, where you also vote for the party. So you vote, for the, you vote for the person who is a member of a party, but then you also say which is your favourite party, and those seats are allocated according to the proportion of the vote by the, by, the, by, the, by the political party. Now, you will immediately be thinking, but Peter, what if that involves splitting a seat in half or in thirds or into seventeenths? That would get awkward and you'd have one, 17 people sitting in one seat, which is rude and also not COVID compliant. What are you going to do about that? Took the words from my, straight out of my mouth. I thought so. Well, this is where, as ever, 10 minutes of research into a subject like this, I find myself down rabbit holes. I ended up reading about Thomas Jefferson and a, a dead Belgian mathematician called Victor Dant, who came up with a system for this. Now, it's so popular, it has been used in a number of different jurisdictions. Here is your quiz, Matthew. This version has been used in all of the following places, bar one. Which is that? Are you allowed to tell us what the ver- what the version is first? Yes. So it's it's mixed mixed member proportional representation using the Dehont method. What does that actually involve? Well, it involves mathematics. Oh, okay. Um, in order to make sure that the split doesn't end up, you know, not using not ending up with oh, a whole okay. number so of seats. So there's some some mathematical formula that, as fairly as possible, distributes the seats according. Yes. Okay. Since you're it. so clearly very interested, I would refer you to Dehont's original publication. Système pratique et raisonné de représentation proportionnelle, which was published in Brussels in 1882. But I'll leave you to look that up yourself. Okay, I will be dehaunting later. Good. Right, now this same system is used in all of the following except one. Wales, London, Germany, Bolivia, Bhutan, Lesotho, Quebec and Romania. That's the full list. Now then, this is tense. Which, for, for no prize, which one of that list, Wales, London, Germany, Bolivia, Bhutan, Lesotho, Quebec and Romania, do not use the same system as Scotland? Well, I mean, London feels like the obvious answer, but I reckon you've put that in as a red herring, because I'm assuming you're talking about London mayoral elections. Yes, sorry, or... the London the London uh, Assembly. Okay, so the fact that you said that tells me that that is true, because you wouldn't have said that had you just chucked it in. Damn Give you. me the list again. Wales, again the Welsh Assembly, London Assembly, Germany, the Bundestag, since we're getting specific, Bolivia, don't impress me on that one, Bhutan, likewise, Lesotho, Quebec and Romania. Can you tell me a bit more about Bolivia? (laughs) The the, the Bolivarian state of Bolivia. (laughs) I'm saying Bolivia. It is in fact Bhutan. All the rest, Bolivia, I mean... Famously, famously. Mm. Anyway, this has all gone very sadly wrong, I would say, in my research of this. We're talking about a dead Belgian mathematician, whereas we should be talking about um, matters pertaining to the Highlands and Islands of Scotland. Who represents me and how does it work? Well, I'm very pleased that we can talk to somebody who knows a lot more about this than I do and is much less likely than I am to talk about dead Belgian mathematicians. (laughs) Thank thank the de Hont for that. Exactly. Thank the de Hont. Um, so the exciting news is uh, we are going to be speaking to Gail Ross, who's the member of the Scottish Parliament for Caithness, Sutherland and Ross. She has been since May 2016. She was a councillor on the Highland Council before that, from 2011 2016, and civic leader of Caithness before that. And she's announced that she's stepping down at the next election, which is this year. So, yeah, I'm really excited that she's going to come and tell us, uh, hopefully, some more relevant facts about politics in the very north of Scotland, and also a bit about her experiences of conducting those politics. That's great. And in all fairness, I think you did a good job there. I do feel more informed, but I'm I'm really it feels a bit bit of a coup to me. I'm excited to to speak to an an actual We're MSP. Yeah, me too. To, to see our parents there. Hi, Gail. 
Thank you very much for being with us on Far North. It's really good to uh, really good to see you on Zoom. How are you doing? Hi, I'm great. Thank you for inviting me on. It's really exciting. It is really exciting. Yeah. So um, let's kick off. So where, whereabouts are you in the world? Where are we talking to you from? Um, at the moment, I am in Wick in Caithness in the very far north of Scotland. It is. It is indeed. And uh, looking out the window, it is snow on the ground, as would happen beyond the wall in January. It's very cold here. <laughs> so um, I was. So you're an MSP, right? Can yeah. you just give us a little clue? What does that mean? Uh, MSP stands for Member of the Scottish Parliament. So that means, so that's a long way from Wick to Edinburgh, I guess, where, where that is. So your, your life, I presume, is spent uh, on the A9 or by some other means moving up and down. There's a lot of time spent travelling. It's the biggest constituency on the UK mainland. Um, and it runs all the way down to Applecross in the west and all the way down to uh, Eventon around that area in the east and then cuts across, misses out Dingwall. So, yeah, it's basically most of the North Highlands. It's absolutely huge. So getting to Edinburgh is a logistical problem in itself, but covering the constituency when I'm not in Edinburgh is probably a bigger problem. Challenge. <laughs> <laughs> and what is, what, how do you overcome that? I'm, I'm fascinated straight away by the scale of that geography. Is that you spend a lot of in the non-COVID world, is that spending a lot of time in a car? Or? Yeah, half car will drive, basically. Um, I'm quite lucky um, with my two uh, members of my team that work in Invergordon. They both drive as well, so they take turns at kind of chauffeuring me around the place. And I make use of public transport when I can, but trying to connect up buses and trains to the places that I want to go can be increasingly difficult sometimes. And when I'm in Edinburgh, nobody can believe that my home is a two-hour drive to my constituency office. Wow. <laughs> that is remarkable. <laughs> that is remarkable. So give us the background, Gail. How did you how how does Gail Ross end up as SNP? Um well, when I lived in Glasgow, I, I left work when I was 18 and went to college in Glasgow. And um, I guess I'm, I'm one of the few people that actually came back to, to live and work in um, the, the county and the Highlands, I suppose. So I'm quite lucky in that sense. Um, but I, I joined the SNP um, in around 1997 just because I believed in independence for Scotland and, you know, being a student and you get into all these kinds of things. And, um, and then I forgot about it for a long time. I was still a member. I've been a member consistently. Um, but uh, I was in Edinburgh and I moved back up to Wick in 2006 and I just chanced a part-time job with the local MSP who happened to be the local MSP before me, funnily enough. And um, we had a chat about elected office. I mean, it was if, if you could go back 10 years and tell that me what I'm doing now, I would absolutely laugh in your face. It's, uh, it, just, it wasn't anything that I had remotely considered, but I suppose as time goes on and you get to meet um, elected members and you hear their stories of how they got into it and you realize that, you know, they're just, they're just normal people doing this quite extraordinary job and uh, an opening came up in the council and I became a councillor and then I suppose it was just a progression from there. And, and what are the kind of um, things that keep you going now? So I guess it's a hard job but there must be some points of finer interest. You're covering a, an amazing area. Uh, absolutely. It is one of the most if not the most beautiful constituency. And Kate Forbes, um, who is in the, the neighbouring constituency, I mean, she's got things like the Cairn Gorms and Fort William and Skye, but I say, no, no, no. You, you haven't lived unless you've been to Caithness, Sutherland and Ross. It is the most beautiful place in the world. And I, I you know, it's, it is, it's really, really hard work and you've got committee papers and you've got emails and, you know, all the stuff that goes along with casework and dealing with members of the public. And, um, but, but the, the good thing about it is, is that you get to go to all these amazing places like Hand Island Nature Reserve. And... 
what is the dog doing in here? Shut the door. <laughs> don't worry. Sorry, working from home. <laughs> oh, don't, don't. I mean, it's a miracle, Peter. I, normally there's a child that interrupts me, the Peter or I, so don't worry about it. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I've been out on boats looking at dolphins. No no dolphins showed up. That was actually from Cromery with uh, Eagle Ventures. Oh, it was amazing, but yeah, no dolphins. Went to Hand Island looking for um, dolphins and, and whales. There, there were none. Um, <laughs> you know, just, I, I think they hate me. I do. I, I, I was down in Edinburgh <laughs> and I phoned um, my, my husband and my son and uh, they were like, oh yeah, we think the orca are just off the coast of Wick because around May time, you know, they, they hunt seals before they go up to Shetland. There's a specific pod that always comes around, and um, we had been out uh, on a weekend, Saturday, Sunday, Monday before I went down to Edinburgh. We'd been looking for them, no sign of them at all. And I get this phone call saying, "Yeah, I think I think they're there." So a couple of hours later, I phone them back. I say, "Oh, did you manage to find them?" Yeah, we're watching them right now. So every time, every time, I think that these sea creatures know that I'm there, and they deliberately hide. But yeah, I've done. Loads of loads of really good things. Like I think you know as well. It's 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 good promotion for um, me, you know, to go to these places in the constituency. It's brilliant for uh, the organisations and the constituencies. So I get these invites um, quite a lot, and uh, I try to go if I can. I mean, obviously now it's all uh, all on hold, but we'll wait and see where we can where we can go. So there's something about, from what you've said, the landscape that, you know, it's a really, it is a beautiful part of the world. What else is it about the constituency that that attracts you to it or that makes you champion it? Um, there's a lot of good community spirit up here. And I think that um, there's a, I mean, I, I'm an, an SMP, MSP, so there's no, um, no, secret that I believe in an independent Scotland and you know a lot of people in Scotland feel really remote from decision making down in London but there's a lot of people in Caithness that feel quite remote from decision making down in Edinburgh as well and even in Inverness you know from the Highland Council and um, because the Highland Council area again if we're talking in terms of geography is the biggest uh, local authority area in the whole of the UK and Sometimes what's right for, you know, a decision in Inverness is not right for a decision in, in Wick or Thurso or Durness or, you know, all these kind of rural places. So a lot of the times, um, you know, people up here, they, they just get on and do things themselves. They set up community groups, they set up um, different types of organisations or community councils are really proactive. Um, we've got a lot of development trusts, they apply for funding, you know, and, and you, you go to these places and you see the stuff that they've done, the campaigns that they've um, been successful in. Well, for example, there was one in Gearlock a couple of years ago where Scottish Water were going to be putting untreated sewage into the loch and the community said, well, hold on a second, you know, you kind of treat us like that. So I was involved in that and they were successful in managing to halt it. So yeah, there's there's a lot of proactive communities up here and and they work well together it's a really it's something that really interests me about that low population density right so it's very very large and the people who live there are very very spread out so they i mean my impression is that those people have um uh, an outsized in, influence on the area around them they loom large everyone seems to be a you know a big figure in their area who are achieving um outsized things for what you, for you might expect it's one of the reasons that this is i think a really interesting area to investigate and talk about and you just you know turn a corner or you, you, you someone says oh you should speak to so-and-so and you speak to them you think my goodness they're doing all this stuff you would never you would never have guessed and it's just really exciting i think to bump into those characters right does it feel like it's a kind of quality of the people around there you have to you have to kind of have that resilience and that kind of be an interesting person to get through yeah, I mean, there's certainly plenty of characters. I could, uh, <laughs> I could tell you a few stories. They're probably not appropriate for what we're doing, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, it's 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 always good. Um, I think I've probably got at least one main contact in every community in the constituency, and whether they're a community leader or whether they're somebody with you know 
a finger on a pulse or, or connections to other people all around them. You know, it's it's good to, and especially I think when, when, when we're in a situation like we're in just now, and that's how I kind of kept tabs on what was happening all around the constituency because it is so big. And when lockdown um, started last March, I made five or six phone calls to the very people that you're talking about to say, you know, give me a handle on what's happening, what I can help with, all these kinds of things. And, you know, just to have that one point of contact in each area to, to, to keep a, a finger on the pulse is really, really helpful. And absolutely, I mean, there's, there's different people in different sectors. I mean, I've got um, people in the arts sector, I've got people in the environmental sector, I've got people in the business sector that, you know, I, I know that I can trust to phone up and, and, and give me a, an honest answer instead of, you know, sometimes you might get people that will tell you what they think you want to hear, but you have to, you have to get it honestly on the ground if you're going to actually make a difference. And, and I guess you've experienced... Uh, have you? I don't know if you've been able to travel around lockdown in, in Edinburgh versus lockdown in Wick or lockdown in, you know, the in, in the far North Islands. Is that is that a different experience that the community responses? I travelled down to Edinburgh. Um, so normally I would fly because there's a, a, a direct, sorry, there was a direct flight from um, Wick to Edinburgh and um, that was a, I've, I've had a lot of um, teaching and uh, educating people in the Central Belt about what happens up here because when they used to say, um, oh, it must be a nightmare on that train. And I go, no, it's okay. It's only 50 minutes on the plane. And they're like, what? There's airports up there? Really? <laughs> yes. Yes, <laughs> use cutlery as well. It's amazing. <laughs> Um, so yeah, uh, again, blame COVID, um, but Logan Air cut the flights in March and they haven't been reinstated yet. So um, the choices I've got now are about, depending on the traffic, six or seven hours in a car, uh, eight hours in a bus or nine hours in a train. And it depends on what the connection is in Inverness. I spent 12 hours getting home in a train in September. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, when you say far north, you know, a lot of people look at a map of Scotland and think that it doesn't really look that far away. But mm. you start travelling it and you, you realise then it is, you know, say, oh, if you get to Inverness, you're nearly home. Well, no, it's another two and a half hours drive when you get to Inverness. So it is a long way. Um, but, yeah, I, was, I, I went down in June and I drove down and it was... Um, you know, it was before travel um, restrictions had lifted and stuff, but I was classed as an essential worker. And it was really, really eerie. The A9 was so quiet. It was just, yeah. I, I, I think I, I had, you know, everybody was affected by lockdown in different ways, but that was when it really hit for me, was to see that really, really busy road that I've traveled probably thousands of times now just to see it so empty and then getting into Edinburgh and again just nothing and then getting into Parliament which is usually such a buzzy busy place with loads of people and staff and and yeah it, it was it was it, it was quite upsetting actually to see it like that um and you know no able to go into everybody's office for a chat or meet in a canteen for some lunch and do all the normal things that you you take for granted and I think that's when it actually really hit me that yeah this is a serious serious situation that we're in now. I'm really interested Gal in your there's something that comes up time and time again in the podcast is this kind of concept of remoteness um, and Pete and I often have the kind of far north name challenged and this idea of it being a remote part of the world challenged because obviously for someone born and bred in Wick you could very easily argue that Edinburgh's remote or that London's remote and in terms of pure population density um, yes it's remote but um, I wondered if that strikes a chord with you that actually it just it just depends on your perspective if you see London as the centre of the world then yes Wick's remote but if you see the Highlands as the centre of the world then maybe Maybe London's remote. 
yeah. I mean, the Highlands will always be centre of the world, obviously. Um, <laughs> I think that, um, well, I mean, a perfect example, uh, when I was in the uh, Rural Committee a few years ago and we put through the Islands Bill. Now, the Islands Bill was a Scottish Government commitment that came from the independence referendum. And basically, it just gives island authorities more autonomy over their own decision making. If a public body is making either law or policy, they have to um, do an island impact assessment and just make sure that it's what we would call island proofed. And you know, what the islands were looking for, they, they weren't looking to be better or you know, um, getting any more than communities on the mainland. They just wanted equity with, you know, and again, it goes back to this one size fits all policy. You make law in Edinburgh or you make policy in Inverness and, you know, is it suitable for the whole area? And a lot of the policy or, or law that was being made, um, I say a lot, that's probably wrong. There, there are examples of um, probably things like um, certain heating in, in council houses and that was going to be made statutory now that would be okay if you were in the middle of Glasgow or Edinburgh but you know in Stromness or Stornoway it probably wasn't as appropriate but still it was a, a policy that was going to be rolled out um, so just to make sure that the, the law and the policy was fit for the islands and their needs um, so when I was when I was putting it through a lot of the stuff that we found I mean we went to Mull and Orkney and um, over to the Western Isles and a lot of things that they were talking about really um, struck home to me because it was things that we had been struggling with for many years. Um, depopulation, especially of our young people, uh, problems recruiting, especially to things like education and health, um, problems with connectivity, whether that be um, physical connectivity, road, and obviously the difference with the islands is, you know, they have ferries, whereas we, you know, can, can go anywhere on the mainland we want at any time, usually. Um, digital connectivity, um, you know, and I, I was saying everything that, that they're talking about affects remote rural areas as well. And so I put forward an idea for a private members bill and it was a remote rural communities bill and it would have afforded remote rural communities with the same protections as the Islands Act now gives our islands. And it was really, really well received. So, you know, you're talking about, um, so the, ma the main two that, that we spoke about were NHS Highland and the Highland Council, both based in Inverness, you know, decision-making bodies that have really, really a big effect on, you know, the, the population as a whole. So you talk about the classification of remote. The classification of remote rural is something that is set down in statute by the Scottish government in order for them to, um, to look at the classification and say, right, so if you're more than three miles away or more than 10 miles away or more than 20 miles away from a population density of 10,000, you are classified as such. And it helps them you know, know where to provide services and, you know, they, they use it for different things like uh, the broadband rollout, for example. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a classification that's used. A lot of people didn't like it when I did the consultation for the bill. A lot of people, exactly like you said, said, well, we don't feel remote. So, you know, this, how can this bill represent us? And yeah, it's that was something that came up time and time again. And I had to explain to people that it was just a classification that was used so that we could tell, you know, basically where about you were. If you were, you know, in the middle of the, the constituency um, or if you were nearer to the bigger populations of, say, Wick or Thurso or, you know, these sorts of areas. So um, it's, it, it's a contentious term, I, I think. Because, you know, there are people that I know that have never been out of Caithness, never felt the need to go out of Caithness, and absolutely do not feel remote. Mm. And mm. they can live in a stone butt and bend in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> and they still don't feel remote because, no. you know, they've got they've what they need. They've ever wanted, yeah, mm. absolutely. So I think, you know, it is a, an official classification, but I do think that it's quite 
you know, subjective as well. And you either you do feel it or you don't. And if you've got, I think, I think there's a problem or a challenge. I keep saying problem. It's more of a challenge. It is a problem for some people in that what we're seeing now with the closure of local banks and post offices and things like that, that maybe are starting to make people feel more remote. You know, we used to have a really thriving art scene up here. I used to be a, a marketing manager, a theatre company up in Thurzo, Greco's Theatre, run by um, a very prominent uh, local poet and playwright, George Gunn. And, you know, the arts scene has kind of quietened down a lot. So you, you look to places like Inverness, to Eden Court and all these sorts of things if you want to, um, if you want to access that sort of stuff. Life Arts Centre have started up here again, and it's absolutely amazing the stuff that they're doing. So it just depends, I think, what it is you want from an area. Mm. And then that kind of dictates whether or not you feel mm. remote mm. from something. That makes sense. And I think you know, the distinction I think you've highlighted for me is the difference between the kind of classification versus the feeling. Um, and they, where the, classific the classification can be true, depending on how you're determining that classification, but um, the feeling of remoteness is not true for everyone who lives here. It's a really interesting question. It kind of keeps on giving that question because we've had interpretations that are from very much from a kind of emotional, poetic sense and others that are from a geographic sense or a demographic sense. So this is it's good to... You, you know, um, put it on a legal basis, finally, this question we've been asking people it's good <laughs> to get under the skin of it. I guess, I guess one of the things about remoteness is it's it can be quite attractive for people who don't have it. You know, people who are who are living in, in Edinburgh or London or, you know, Manhattan or somewhere can easily crave that sense of remoteness, um, but can also destroy that remoteness by all showing up at the same time in the in the in the remote place and parking next to each other so there's a there's a kind of angle there isn't there for how how that interaction is going to play out in the future and there is and i think there's also a flip side i've spoken to people that not a lot right enough but i have spoken to people that have moved up here seeking that remoteness and they've found it and they've hated it you know they've stayed in the city their whole life and suddenly they're in a house where you can see all the stars and there's not a bus passing your front door every five minutes. And, you know, you can hear foxes and things rustling in your garden and they just, they, they, they don't like it at all. It takes a lot of getting used to. So there's some, yeah, some serious stuff there, isn't there? That, that kind of emotional versus classification and obviously some challenges for the region. What, what about the fun stuff? What's, what's some of the fun stuff you've experienced as an MSP for the region? So during the uh, the campaign in 2016, the First Minister does a tour of um, some of the some of the places um, and she came up to Allness and she went out to a hall at Milnafua where the kids had all uh, they decorated a hall and uh, they were just so excited to see her. It was absolutely brilliant. And they took her out and they got her on a basketball court and they got her playing basketball and stuff. And you could see her aides in the background going, oh, my God, what are they doing? She's just, you know, she just throws herself into everything. So she and she spent a lot longer there than she actually should have. So, you know, and the kids, they were just nonstop talking about it afterwards. And so that would have been in probably April 2016. And then um, one of her, her private secretaries came to me then later on and said, uh, First Minister would love to go back up. She really wants to do her Christmas party. Can you arrange it? So I'm like, right, okay, no pressure then. <laughs> Organising the First Minister's Christmas party in Allness. So um, it was actually quite easy. We just got all the kids to do the same sort of stuff. They decorated a hall um, and she came up and it was absolutely brilliant they all met her at door and it was big cuddles and selfies and you know it was just yeah it, it, honestly it was just like she was a member of community and uh, she was going to do her first minister's address to the nation you know she does one of these every Christmas she was going to record it with the kids <laughs> so um so they had the the proper camera there and everything and 
Uh, so she was saying to her kids, they were all kind of in a, a tight knit group, but behind her at her back. And she was saying to them, right, now when I say, and I'd just like to wish everyone a Merry Christmas, you all jump up behind me and shout, Merry Christmas. So I think about take 10. <laughs> <laughs> we, we would all manage to stop them jumping up and down shouting Merry Christmas when she was trying to say really serious things you know like you know our emergency services that keep us safe and all the stuff that she says and you know you get one of them jumping up Merry Christmas the final one it was just absolutely brilliant and she just turns around and she gives them all a great big clap and they're all running a bit and I do. I really do think that you know politics is. It's a really, really serious business because we're making laws that can affect people's lives for a long time. But when you get things like that, and you get kids involved, and it's just happy, happy times. You know, I've got I've got so many good memories of going to Q and E sessions in schools or. <laughs> I went to a nursery once to um, award a prize for the best Easter bonnet. I probably will never do that again in my life because there is no way you can tell a bunch of three and four year olds that one hat is better than another hat. <laughs> That's <laughs> unwise. There were tears and the photo is absolutely hilarious. The mums are all smiling, the kids are all raging. I'm standing thinking, what have I got myself into? <laughs> <laughs> you gotta be so careful with these things but yeah i mean that the, there's been there's been loads of stuff um and it's it's a really privileged position obviously um when in, in my first year um i was approached by a, a charity called remembering srebrenica scotland and they do visits to Bosnia, Herzegovina every June. Um, and it's a couple of journalists, um, a couple of people from the private sector, um, a couple of MSPs or, or elected members. And you basically go and it's a, it's a pretty intense trip. It's a three day trip where you um, meet people that were you know, basically there during um, the war in uh, 1995 and um, the genocide and yeah to to I suppose to be able to experience something like that which you think you know you know you've learned about it a little bit in school but really you know absolutely nothing about it until you go to the country and you still see you know the bullet holes in the buildings and you hear firsthand you know I spoke to one woman who had lost 17 members of her family and it's just it's horrific so you know taking that back here as well and um you know relating that kind of sense of and and the message was really quite simple it was just be kind to each other you know be more tolerant be more kind and i think that you know at no time as as we've seen you know across the pond what's happening i, I think this is a, a really pertinent time for those kind of messages too so you know you've got a serious side you've got the kind of um, policy side you've got a fun side so yeah I think looking back on my five years there's 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 a lot to a lot to remember and a lot to look fondly on and what are you most proud of in those five years um there's been a few different things um you know infrastructure wise I suppose um getting a spaceport the planning for the spaceport and I guess um when I go to <laughs> it still sounds unbelievable when I say it but when I go to the first rocket launch I think it'll be a little bit of a <laughs> wow I can't believe we actually did this because mm. that was a wee whisper in my year at a meeting um a lot of years ago now when I was still a counsellor and somebody came over and said uh, have a wee word you know and I said yeah of course we're thinking about getting, you know, some sort of rocket launching facility on the north coast, and I went, "I sure you are." <laughs> <laughs> and 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 yeah, so suppose uh, don't don't knock it until you actually know what's going on. <laughs> but it's it's something that sounds just so amazing that I I just couldn't help thinking this is absolute um, 
pie in the sky for one of her face. Uh, but yeah, so we've got planning permission for that. That's fantastic. Um, I do a lot of things um, locally. I'm a, a member of the committee for May Games. Um, that's one of the biggest uh, Highland Games now uh, in the north of Scotland. That's when uh, Duke of Rothsey um, comes up and stays at a castle of May. And I mean, I know that not everybody's a, a fan of a royal family, but it certainly does get a crowd, you know, to attend. And he's he's very well thought of up here because of the Queen Mother's um, presence at a castle of May. So, yeah, very proud to be um, involved in that. But I think I think the best, certainly the one that I found most rewarding. Um, there was a, a young man that was. Um, found dead in suspicious circumstances um, in the 90s by the name of Kevin McLeod and his family have fought for justice for him for a lot of years and there have been allegations that the police didn't handle it in the way that they should have handled it and it was treated as uh, an accident when it should have been treated as a murder inquiry and the family have gone through hell absolute hell trying to um, get what they say is justice for Kevin. Um, so I took a case on on their behalf and I spent a lot of hours with them talking and looking over all the paperwork. And when I say looking over all the paperwork, I, I looked over the pertinent documents. They've got a room full of paperwork that it would take another 10 years to look through if I wanted to, you know, read it all. Um, and it was really quite heartbreaking because, you know, Kevin's mum and dad, I've known them for years and they're an absolutely lovely couple, but that's what June said to me. She says, you know, we've never been allowed to grieve for our son because we don't know what happened to him. So I set up some meetings with Police Scotland and a new chief constable, um, Ian Livingston, very kindly gave me um, some time down in Fetty's police station in Edinburgh. And we came to an agreement that the McLeods would get an official apology from Police Scotland for the way that their case was mishandled. And I think that, you know, for all the years, 20 years that they had been fighting for even an acknowledgement that something hadn't been done in the right way, to get a full written apology. And the Chief Constable and the Assistant Chief Constable came up to WIC to deliver it to them. And uh, they came up on the same flight as me and the flight was nearly delayed because it was just, it was a week before Christmas and the weather wasn't great. So I'm thinking all this work that we've put into getting this apology and now it might be scuppered at the last minute because of the weather, but no, we made it. And uh, we sat with them in, in the convener's room with Town Hall in Wick and, and, you know, he looked them in the eye and he said, I am sorry. And that was a, that was a, a big moment. It was a big moment for them. It was a big moment for me to be able to help them get partial closure, you know, in that sense. So sometimes, you know, it's not a big, massive things that affect hundreds of people. Sometimes it's uh, it's something that's massive to just maybe three or four people, but it's it, it, the effect it has is 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 really big. Yeah. So I'm I'm really I'm really quite. Um, I suppose proud's the wrong word because it's nothing to really be proud of, but I'm happy that I was able to help them get that. Mm. Yeah, and I think you you know you've captured there beautifully, and I think you should be proud that the yeah the scales you know from national infrastructure projects such as spaceports all the way down to one one family. It's like all all life is here, right? I, I think it's really. I mean, I'll just be honest. I think it's really impressive that people do this. You know, I've I've struggled with the understanding why people would put themselves through the hardship that goes into achieving these things. I wouldn't know how to handle any of those circumstances. Even somebody sidling up to me in a church hall and proposing a spaceport. I mean, I would I wouldn't know what to say next <coughs> to, to that response. But whatever it was, I'm pretty sure it wouldn't lead to the creation of a spaceport. I'm pretty sure it would be I right. <laughs> <laughs> Gail, I wanted to touch on, because we've touched on it a few times, and, it, and as you say, there's no escaping the fact that you're a, you're a member of the SNP. What, what's the, 
What's the relationship with the constituency you represent and an independent Scotland? You know, the advantages as you perceive them, the the, the case that to be made. And, you know, obviously the people fall on both sides of this debate. Some people fall, fall right down the middle. And I know it's feeling particularly resonant at the moment with the UK's exit from the EU and, and everything that's involved. What I'm just really in your, interested in your perspective well, on it. I mean, obviously, like you say, there's different feelings in different areas. Um, when when we were, I was at the referendum count in 2014, so I saw a lot of the ballot boxes being opened and um, every ballot box in WIC was a yes vote. Most of the ballot boxes in Thurzo were no votes. Um, we've got a strong yes vote down the west coast, um, Ullapool, well, going from really Durness down to, you know, Loch Inver, Ullapool, um, Shieldig, you know, down that sort of way. Um, maybe it's it becomes less clear cut the, the further east that you go. Um, and certainly the the issue with um, with Thurzo was the Dunray factor, because, you know, Dunray, UK government, um, and the, there was a lot of worry about um, the jobs, the investment, you know, whether that would still be forthcoming. So, you know, we, we've, we've got a bit of work to do, but certainly, um, I mean, from, from going from a massive Liberal Democrat seat as we have been historically for a lot of years um, and then to have for a brief period of time um, an SNP MSP and an SNP MP was absolutely unheard of. Um, so you know I think the winds of change are blowing um, but it's it, it's you know it's not it's not Westminster's to lose, it's it's ours to win. And I suppose, you know, putting forward the positives and I think it's I think it's easier up here when you say to people, don't you want to make your own decisions? Because they know what making their own decisions kind of looks like up here. And you know, like I said at the start, we can feel remote from London or we can feel remote from Edinburgh or we can feel remote from Inverness or people in Keese can feel remote from Wick, or people in Barragal can feel remote from Keese, you know, or people in the one farm down the road can feel. So yeah, it's it's just a, it's it's like a trickle down. And, and I suppose it's, well, if you don't want your decisions made so far away, let's make them closer to home and make them closer to home. So it, it really just depends what your outlook is. And you will get those hardened unionists that really do believe in, the union of the UK um, and you'll get people that are shouting about you know if we're getting independence for Scotland let's get independence for the Highlands so you know there, there's there's absolutely um, these uh, competing factors but um, I do think that there, there are a lot of people um, up here that are quite disillusioned with how decisions are being made at the moment and you know, if, if it, you know, whether it's it's London or or where it is, um, but yeah, it. I think it's difficult until we can get back out on the doors, which I mean, nobody knows how that's going to happen. That is where our main chat happens, where, where we can actually, you know, talk one to one and say, well, what are your fears? What are your hopes? What do you want from it? What can you know? It's yeah. But it sounds like you're saying, I'm getting a sense from what you're saying, that the driver for you or, or for the people you represent is around decision making more than it is around identity. You'll get a lot of people that say that they're a Highlander before they're Scottish. And you'll get a lot of people up here that say they're Caithnesian before they're a Highlander. And you'll get a lot of people that say I'm a weaker, <laughs> you know. Or I'm... So again, it's just going down to that kind of individual sense of you're right it, it is an identity um but i think i, I certainly think i mean it, it might be going back to a, a long lost clan system of identity in the highlands as opposed to you know a wider scottish thing but um we we uh, a couple of years ago no, longer than a couple of years ago um we were the first 
county, um, Caithness were the first county to have its own flag. And I was civic leader at the time, so I was uh, involved. Get that dog out of here. <laughs> I was in. Um, what sort of dog is it? He's a collie. Oh, I can't. Yes, come on. Collie. <laughs> you get it away. Um, yeah, so involved in, in making a flag. Or... <laughs> Sorry. Oh, it's that making the noise. I thought it was the dog making that noise. Come on, Muddy. Here he is. Oh, look at him. Oh, I love a collie. Um, Can't be a collie. <laughs> yeah, he's a, he's a lockdown baby. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of them. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I mean, a Caithness flag is, I suppose, another element of cultural identity that we've got here, and it's got an element of Norse in it, and it's got the raven. <laughs> Jesus. Um, from the old Caithness um, coat of arms and you know you'll you'll probably find um, the Caithness flag flying more than you'll find a saltar which kind of angered a lot of right. people as well they thought that it was a, a a ploy to stop a saltar flying in places but you know really it's just a it's just an expression of our, our identity as a a county, it doesn't usurp any other, you know, Scottish identity or anything like that. I think it sits quite nicely alongside it. Right. Where's dad? Right, we'll get it. Take your dog. I don't know. <laughs> Just go, please. Go on. Give him a treat or something and close the door. Thank you. Okay. So, um, your time, it's been great to hear what you've experienced in your time as an uh, MSP and the the area and the land and your background in it and the people and your experience as a human being I think has come through really strongly of doing this job really I mean really quite inspiring I would say um, but it sounds tough so you're stepping down as an MSP so if you had the chance to give advice to somebody who might be thinking that they want to go into public service of some kind in their life what what would your advice be? If I was to be really honest be prepared to give yourself up to the public because um, I'm quite a private person and um, I, even though I was a counsellor, I think even as a counsellor, you're quite shielded because, you know, my ward was wick and, you know, I was still up here. I would go to Inverness every week, take part in meetings, but not, not a lot of people are really interested in watching a webcast of Highland Council's Education Committee or whatever it is. I suppose being civic leader meant that I attended a lot more events that I would do as just a ward councillor because that was Caithness wide. Um, and there were a lot of people that, you know, that were quite shocked to see a, a young female wearing the chains, if you like. Um, just as a, a, an aside story, um, when I was talking about the Duke of Rothsey coming up to the May Games every year, every August, the very first time that I went, I went as Caithness Civic Leader. So uh, everybody's very fancy, you know, a bit of tartan, chain on, husband with me, full Highland dress. And uh, Charles comes round and he shakes hands with everybody. And we'd met him already during the day because we were at a an event that he was opening something to do with the Prince's Trust in the afternoon. So he'd he'd already um, met me and and so he said to Stuart, and he, he gets briefings beforehand, so he knows what that Stuart's a teacher. And he said, oh, you know, how's the teaching going? And they were having a wee bit of a, a, a chat. And he turned around and he, he points to my chain and he said, and do you ever get to wear the chain? And Stuart goes like that, only on a Saturday night. I thought, oh <laughs> <laughs> he laughed it. He thought it was really funny. Um, so I suppose, uh, in that sense, yeah, you need to you need to have a sense of humour. Yeah. You you need to really have a thick skin because, um, especially if you're if you're representing somewhere where it's a small community that you've grown up in, everybody knows you, and I think there's been a lot of. Um, a lot of kind of who does she think she is up here coming from Wick, going to the parliament, 
thinking she's Archie, coming back here, telling us what to do, which is not true at all. I mean, I've tried to um, do this job and, and include people in decision-making as much as I possibly can. Um, but, you know, there, there will be people who really, really, really want to see you achieve and succeed, but you have to face it. There are people who will want to see you fail. And I think that I found that quite difficult to take. Um, I had to I had to stop my mum sending me screenshots of Facebook posts after about six months because it was really quite demoralising. You know, I was knocking my pan in for however many hours a day and missing it on seeing my son because I was in Edinburgh four and five days a week. And then I would get sent these screenshots saying, you know, what the hell is she doing for our area kind of thing. So, yeah, I had to, I had to stop reading a lot with social media stuff. And... Uh, there was a there was a couple of security issues. Um, there was some threats made online that I had to uh, deal with. The police were involved, and you know, so you ha you have to be prepared for these things. It's not walking a park. It's not you know just standing up in a chamber and making a speech or going on a telly and doing an interview or you know it is it's a twenty four hour job and. Um, I spend Sunday evenings preparing for a week ahead. There's two lots of committee papers to read. Some of them can be over 200 pages long. That's every week. There's people that have really, really difficult issues and challenges that you just, you simply cannot help with, but you kind of help taking it home with you. Um, but then on the flip side, when you get a, a little email saying, thank you for all your hard work. I really do believe that you saved my son's life. It really makes all those hours so worthwhile. So yeah, it's a well-paid job. It's a high stress job. It's a massive responsibility. It's a complete loss of all your privacy, but it's something that I will never forget. I am so lucky to have had the chance to do. And I would say, if you want to do it, absolutely go for it and send me a message and I might be able to give you some advice. To see our parents there will always find a bed for us Though there is no space to spare Wow, that was... I'm I'm quite taken aback actually. That was um, that was quite moving in parts. Yeah, um, yeah. it really was. Um, you know, I said at the, in the first part there that you know politics can be politics isn't as negative as you always often think it is, or maybe as often as I think it is. But that that was really. I mean, I I said it and I meant it. It's quite inspiring to hear somebody talk about how hard it is to do that job and how hard they've tried to do it well and you know it just makes me think who are these people who who do that i mean it's such um you know hundreds of pages of papers to read every week on a really complex subject presumably you know ranging from, from space sports to fish fisheries and then cases helping people in dire circumstances you know i'm yeah i'm really quite um humbled and it doesn't you're, you're right it just doesn't make headlines does it you know individual MP puts time and effort into helping individual family over many many months or years sadly that that's that doesn't make a, a gripping headline in the way that something more controversial or bigger scale no does but yeah you, I mean you're right and I think do we do too often forget that they are human beings despite having very thick skins or learning to grow very thick skins they're still human beings with families and lives beyond politics yeah, and combining the, you know, the abuse that people suffer for working in politics with the, pe the abuse that people get for being on social media, <laughs> the two together sounds, you know, well, I mean, Gail, Gail was pretty clear that's punishing, isn't it? That's, um... But not all heavy either, right? I, I love the story about Nicola Sturgeon and the and the school visit and just the, you know, it's, it, I, I, it does, I did get the sense from her that it's a, uh, is a kind of wonderful job, wonderful job in many ways that you get to represent this enormous region. I mean, what a what an incredible geographical um, scale of her constituency and the variety 
within it it must be yeah it must be amazing to to pre-covid to say right i'm i'm getting in my car and i'm scaling this area to go and talk to people i need to talk to and knock on doorsteps and all the rest of it yeah yeah a huge area and um just such diversity of the things that that happen on a on a weekly basis and on a on a geographic basis you know she's you know north south east west within the the far north quite um quite incredible yeah and i and that i think it really struck me that she wanted to highlight the the fun side of the job as well as the serious side of the job there's such a breadth uh, there of that response and yeah i can't you know i've organized a few events for officials in the past but the idea of trying to marshal primary school kids to uh, deliver on cue whilst the first minister delivers a tele- televised very serious address you know, it sounds like a um sounds like a real challenge so I guess the the unanswered question I have is uh, when when does your campaign to uh, take a seat begin, Pete? Well, my campaign to go my, or my planning to go into politics, I would say I had a one in one thousand chance of wanting to do that at the start of that interview with Gail, and a one in a million chance of wanting to do it at the end. It was a very useful yardstick against which you can measure yourself and think, you know, am I? Am I really the kind of person who's going to be able to, you know, read three hundred pages of committee paper proceedings and then console a grieving f- parent? You know, probably not. No. So I think if it, so, I took away from that that these the people who do this well, um, it costs a lot and it's really worthwhile, and you've got to be pretty determined to be able to do that. So I infer from that that you're going to uh, stick to the podcasts. Yeah, hang on. So you're saying I'm not determined and special? Oh no, you are. You are determined, and you are very, very special. Um, but I wouldn't want to push you in a direction you didn't want to go. Yes, I'm getting. I'm. I think sticking to the podcast is the right tactic for me. Good. So on that basis, let's remind people where they can find said podcast, and if they want to dive a bit deeper into what we're talking about, um, where do they go, Pete? So you can find the podcast on all of your favourite podcast providers, as all the best podcasts say. We're on all of them, I think. iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, we're there. Um, Easiest thing to do is to go to farnorth.scot on the internet, and you will find our webpage there with lots of long-form articles, some uh, short blog posts, some photographs. Um, There's a bunch of stuff, as well as the podcast. So go and check out www.farnorth.scot. And whilst we are metaphorically canvassing on your metaphorical doorstep, um, please do go and metaphorically vote for us in those places. Um, The more positive reviews and comments you can give us, the better and quicker we can grow and get to more people because there is no denying that the Far North is a fascinating part of the world and we're on a mission to share as much of it with as many people as we can. Uh, yeah, but don't do that metaphorically. Do that actually. Actually go and vote for us on those systems. That's good. You can also find us where you'd expect on all the social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We're there, farnorth.scot. Until the next time. Cheers, Matt. for us.